can be a spectator sport, right? Where you guys just sit and listen to the singing head and the talking head, and you, maybe you move a little bit because you get your Bible out if you brought it. Otherwise, it's usually up on the screen. Um, I'm going to teach you guys some hand motions today. Don't worry, this is not like second grade VBS, but this is just to make sure that we're... Uh, uh, that's not, that's not one of the motions, but yes, Tommy's excited for the hand motions. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll show you what, what they mean in just a little bit, but everybody go like this. Go ahead, hold, hold it out, yeah, okay, good. Now, um, out with a fist, okay, and go like this. Oh, you guys are good. Okay, and then, uh, and then let's, go, uh, let's, go, let's go two hands, okay, right here. Oh, wow. That was good. Look at all those hands raised. That's fantastic. Okay, so try again. Try it right here. Okay, then. And. Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you get? I never start sermons with a joke, so I'm not going to start with a joke. But what do you get? You got to think about this. What do you get when you cross cliff notes with a mic drop and truth bombs? What, what do you get? What did you say? Lots of noise. Well, yeah, lots of noise for sure, sure. So what do you get when you cross cliff notes, mic drops, and truth bombs? Get the letter of Second John. <laughs> That's more laughing than I got when I tried to tell a joke. That's good. You get the letter of Second John. Listen, we are in a long sermon series that we've been in. This is week number 12 that we have been calling uh, Not Your Normal Dear John Letters, okay? We have been looking at the letters that this guy named John wrote. This is John, the disciple who declared that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Kind of bold, but this is the John that declared that. And in the last 11 weeks, we have covered all of 1 John, okay? Five chapters, uh, 105 verses, 2,141 words. We've covered all of it. It's taken us 11 weeks to do it. Today, in one day, we're going to cover all of 2 John, which is one chapter, 13 verses, 245 words. All right, it's enough time for John to make his point, and it's short enough to fit onto a standard 10 by 8 sheet of papyrus paper, which was the size of the paper. I don't know how we got 8 and a half by 11 today. We should have stuck with 8 by 10, but it was enough room for him to get all of his thoughts down, but fit on one piece of paper. So what's the short letter consist of? Cliff notes, mic drops, and truth bombs. <laughs> if you haven't done it yet, grab your Bible, turn with me to 2 John. I'm going to pray. We're going to read this short letter and then we'll talk. Uh, Jesus, every Sunday morning, it feels like I ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is ready to receive. I want that this morning. For me, for those that are here with us in person, and for those that are watching online, and even for those who will watch this later. So God, give us those eyes to see, the ears to hear, and hearts that are ready to be tilled and planted so that you can grow your fruit in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The letter of 2 John, if you don't have it open, that's fine. I'm going to read the whole thing. If you do have it open, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which, unless you're reading from that same translation, might be slightly different than yours. But here it is. This letter is from John, the elder, 
I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. Verse 4. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one that we have heard from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. Verse 7, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face, then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. After 11 weeks in a letter that doesn't look like a letter, finally, a letter that looks like a letter, right? There is a, an, something that you address, someone you address it to, dear so-and-so, and at the end, it's keep the guest room ready, I'm coming by, and it's going to be awesome. And in between, you've got cliff notes, mic drops, come on, say it with me, truth bombs. <laughs> Let me explain. First, cliff notes. For those who don't know what they are, somebody real briefly, maybe a teacher, explain to me what cliff notes are. A cheater's way. <laughs> yes, Connie? Give me the cliff note version of your answer. I love Connie. Connie, Connie, cliff notes. Oh, <laughs> Connie Pittman was in education for years and years and years and years. So you, of all people, would know what cliff notes are. It's a succinct telling of the story. A succinct telling of the story. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. I had no idea what cliff notes were until I was in 10th grade in AP English class. <laughs> Spring of that year, the teacher assigned us to read Moby Dick. 427 pages long, 135 chapters to a 17-year-old boy. That is longer than the Bible, right? So I did what every 17-year-old boy would do. I went to the local theater, which had the movie rental store, and I tried to check out Moby Dick in the, in the movies. Uh, for those who were alive back then, it was VHS tapes, all right? The person behind the counter was actually attached to the single-screen movie theater in our town. Size town I grew up in. Person behind the counter says, No, that movie's been checked out actually just a couple days ago. <clears throat> Next day I went to the teacher. <laughs> Sorry, Connie. I went to the teacher and said, I can't read the book because the movie's been checked out. <laughs> she smiled. She says, I got it, James, and I got the extended rental agreement. 
I sat down thinking to myself, how much of that spring semester is going to be spent reading 427 pages when my neighbor leaned over and says, Jake, look at the cliff notes. I had no idea what cliff notes were. <laughs> oh, but I looked them up and the heavens opened. <laughs> the angels started to sing. <clears throat> They were much shorter, much more readable, much more understandable. And by the time to take the test actually came, I'd read through the cliff notes twice. I turned that test over ready, maybe a little bit arrogantly confident. And I think if I remember right, I got a high D. <laughs> the teacher put things that were not in the cliff notes on the test. Every teacher in the house, including Connie, is like, yep, absolutely. Ah. Thankfully, John does not give us a test, okay? But John basically covers, in the second letter, everything he covers in his first letter. I really do see the letter of 2 John as the cliff note versions of 1 John. For those who were here at all over the last 11 weeks, listen for the cliff note version of 1 John. Okay? In the second letter, verses 1 to 4, John speaks about Jesus and truth. You guys ever hear about that in the last 11 weeks? Jesus and truth? Maybe a little bit? Yeah. He, if you remember as far back as last week, which I know was a long time ago, I talked about John saying this is what he knew about Jesus. I mean, his focus was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was, it is, and it always will be. Cliff note number one, Jesus and truth. Cliff note number two in 2 John, verses 5 through 6. John writes about love. Elena, when you preached a couple of weeks back, what'd you preach on? Love. love. what I preach on two weeks before that? Love. What was in the sermon like two weeks before that? Go ahead, say it with me. Love. love. When I make a nice dinner, I say to Abby, I put a little something extra in it. What is it? Love. Yeah, that's right. That wasn't written down. Uh, love, John talks about being in the commandments. He says, love's the commandment that you gave from the very beginning. So love one another. Love God. Let your actions be your evidence of love. Right? Let it be obedience. That's cliff note number two. It took us 11 weeks for John to say that in the first stretch. Third cliff note. John writes in verses 7 to 11 essentially what the overarching purpose of 1 John was for. He's writing to people who are in the church still in Ephesus, who are hearing what people outside the church in Ephesus are saying, because the people in the church, people outside the church had left, and they were trying to convince the people in the church, it's time to come with us, because we, we have this secret knowledge, this, this truth, and we, we th really think it was the Gnostic heresy, and those people believe that Jesus was not true flesh and blood, that he wasn't God incarnate, wasn't God in flesh, and that they couldn't really believe who this Jesus was that the church was teaching. So in verses 7 to 11... John, he says what it took 2,141 words in the first letter to say. Don't believe them. And at the end, verses 12 and 13, John says, I'm coming soon. Be ready. Cliff notes. Go ahead, put them up. Cliff notes. What's next? Mic drops. I just realized I could have saved you 11 weeks of sermons. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mic drops. Uh, raise your hand if you know what they are. Oh, good. Not too many hands are up. There is a certain generation 
that knows more what they are. Eric kind of put his halfway up. Y- y'all can raise your hand. <laughs> you're still under your third, you're in the 20s, okay? A mic drop. Um, I know what it is. I've seen it, but I wanted to look it up so you get a formal definition. This definition comes from www.urbandictionary.com. <laughs> My young people are laughing. Thank you, Hannah. Urbandictionary.com describes a mic drop moment is when a speaker gives a speech that is so compelling, so persuasive, that at the end of the speech, there's nothing left to say. The speaker simply drops the mic and walks off. John does that. In verses 7 to 11 is really where I see this mic drop moment, because again, this was the overarching theme of 1 John. John says this, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in the real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. We talked about that in week one of this series. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. Kind of enough said, right? So if we simplify it even more, John's saying there's many deceivers. They're the Antichrist. They're saying Jesus isn't a real person, and if you get connived, if you get conjoled, if you get confused, if you get persuaded, there is a chance you will walk away from the faith that we have shared with you, John says. I know all my Calvinist friends are squirming right now, okay? I read this and I think, wow, is John really saying there is a possibility of walking away from the faith, of losing our salvation? Uh, John's not saying that if you swear at a stoplight that you're going to lose your, your salvation. He's not saying that if you use cliff notes on a 10th grade test that you're a cheater <laughs> and that you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying if you purposefully choose to walk away from the Jesus that we have taught, there is a real, relation, a real chance that you're going to lose that relationship. I mean, that, that's, that's the way I read it. He says that in verses 8 and 9, be diligent so you receive your full reward. Watch out so that you don't lose what we have worked so hard for. And at the end, John says, don't have anything to do with these people. Don't send them, don't, don't invite them over. Don't send them emojis and smiley faces. Don't encourage them. Don't welcome them into your house. Doing so could have eternal ramifications. He says, let me recap again. Many deceivers denying who Jesus is, they're not part of us. And if you join them, there's, there's a chance that it will not go well with your soul. Do it with me. Okay. Second John has this, which is what? <laughs> not Moby Dick, but Cliff Notes. Okay. It's got mic drops and it's got truth bombs. I want to be extremely careful as I talk about this right now because I know with what's going on in the world, any light-hearted comments about bombs could be taken as insensitive. I'm absolutely not doing that. We got it? I'm going to come back to this and just reiterate that at the end as well. But I heard the term truth bombs a while ago, and uh, if uh, anybody know what it means? Got a couple of people that you watch 30 Rock? 
I never did either, but Tracy Morgan, who is Tracy Jordan, the character in 30 Rock, kind of coined that phrase, made it famous. Uh, truth bombs, again, as defined by UrbanDictionary.com, the place I go after Webster, uh, is facts that are spoken in clear, easy-to-understand terms and spoken without bias. You got it? Facts that are speaking, spoken in clear, easy-to-understand terms and spoken without bias. Give you an example. I had a truth bomb dropped on me when I worked for a ministry in Chicago. All right? Uh, when I got hired there, they told me, James, we're going to fast-track you to one of our director roles because we think you've got the gifts, the skills, the, the passions to do that. So I don't know, it was a month or two into me being there, and they hadn't fast-tracked me fast enough. And I was thinking that it just needed to go quicker. I mean, they told me I was ready for a director role, and apparently this feeling of not being fast-tracked fast enough was leaking from me because my direct supervisor pulls me into the office and says, uh, Hey, James, I'm getting this sense that you're unsettled with where you're at in your, your role right now. He says, let me read you a passage from Scripture. It's my direct supervisor, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, is how it starts. So my direct authority, <laughs> my direct supervisor is claiming that. I give you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. Matt Lures looked up and said, uh, you need to have a healthy estimation of who you are. Are we clear? <laughs> clear, concise, <laughs> unbiased. I'm not going to miss the point. I started thinking about this when I was reading verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home. Don't give them any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. A partner in their evil work. That's pretty clear. Yes? As I was sitting there thinking about that, I reread the verses 1 through 4, and I realized just how many times John uses the word truth. Yeah, if you're under the age of 100 and you'd like candy after the sermon, count how many times he says truth in these first four verses, and then you come up to my office after and get candy, okay? If you're watching online, just yell it really loud and I'll hear you. <laughs> Looking for the, for the word truth in here. This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children with whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. How many times... I mean, just if you listened closely, go ahead and say it out loud because it's worth a piece of candy from my desk, not telling you how long the candy's been there, but <laughs> how many times did John say truth in that passage? Five. Five times. When Elena preached several weeks ago, she said, if, if in scripture you ever see a word repeated, you know, twice, pay attention. <laughs> Five 
times he says that. John was serious about truth. He wrote the life story of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. If you remember, towards the end of that story, Jesus gets arrested and he gets interrogated by this guy named Pilate. He's the, uh, the Roman governor. And listen to the exchange that the two of them have in John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. Pilate went back into the headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate asks. Your own people and the leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said, so are you a king? And Jesus responded, you say that I am a king. But actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Who remembers Pilate's response? What is truth? Pilate asks. Well, had Pilate had his legal team do their research before having Jesus brought to him, they would have known that earlier in the story, Jesus equated himself, called himself truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, right? Thomas was asking, where are you going? And Jesus is like, you know where I'm going, but we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John took truth seriously. So what is truth? Jesus says, I am. You go back to our text and you look at the five different times that, that John uses the word truth. And you've got to ask yourself, what was he meaning when he used it that many times? I mean, we talk about loving in the truth, uh, knowing the truth, living in the truth. Um, does that a couple of times. Living according to the truth. What was John talking about when he was using that word? Most scholars believe that he was talking about the broad strokes of the Christian faith. The truth of the gospel, right? Saved by faith alone through Jesus Christ. Some scholars say he was, well, he was, he was talking about the truth that Jesus was true flesh and blood, because that's what was uh, being debated. Um, some scholars say, that, well, it's the truth about the way to follow Jesus, the Christian life, obedience, which was a common theme. I think these scholars are absolutely right, all right? But I also wonder if when John was writing this, he thought back to Jesus' comment to Thomas, because John would have been there, of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So could John, I'm just, I don't ever want to change scripture, okay? But could John have been thinking of Jesus when he wrote truth so many times? I think he could have been. So read along in your scripture so you see the word truth, but listen, and I'm going to switch the word Jesus out for truth. This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children whom I love in Jesus' name, as does everyone else who knows Jesus, because Jesus lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live with Jesus, or who live in Jesus, and who live in love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to Jesus' way, just as the Father commanded. Could make sense, right? On one hand, um, I don't want to change Scripture, because Scripture talks about that it doesn't end well for people who do. All right, and I want to preach next week. So I don't want to do that. But on the other hand, 
man, John could have been thinking about that. And it makes total sense. All along, John's focus has been Jesus. Always has been, always will be, and always is. It's with these types of quick-hitting truth bombs that John's just reiterating Jesus. I'm going to ask you four questions. The answer is always going to be, because of Jesus, the truth. Okay, say that with me. Because of Jesus, the truth. That's going to be the answer to these four questions. John says, why do I love you? The truth, right? He says, why do other people love you? Because of Jesus, the truth. Why do we experience grace, mercy, and peace? Why do we live the way we live? Do it with me. I'll come back to this word of caution. I have seen way too many people use religion as a weapon. Okay? People get hurt by religion. People get abused by religion. People get taken advantage of for total selfish reasons. In my use of this term, truth bombs, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just advocating for the UrbanDictionary.com definition of something that is spoken in a clear, easy, understandable term and without bias. Are we, we clear on this? Okay. John's focus has always been Jesus. So you know the answer to this question. Um, but it's not what I'm going to tell you the answer to. What do you get when you mix cliff notes with mic drops and truth bombs? Second John. And I hope you never forget that. All right, so here's the real question. So what? Right? I mean, I hope I ask that at the end of every sermon, because otherwise you just stand up here and listen to a part-time comedian, which is only funny when he's not trying to tell jokes. All right. So what do we do with this? Well, here's the truth of the matter. I don't know what you do with it. We're going to trust the Spirit of God to let him tell you what you do with it. I can tell you what I need to do with it. As I was thinking about this message, as I was going over it, I'm like, oh, James, you just need to keep it short and simple. All right. I probably could have said in 25 minutes, I probably could have said in three minutes what I just took 25 minutes to say. And I don't have to over explain Jesus. You know, and in terms of like trying to get like, you know, Jesus mic drop moments, I don't have to do that either. Or, you know, Jesus truth bomb moments. I just have to make sure that that how I live, how I speak, how I engage with others, if they encounter Jesus when they do that with me, when they engage me, when they talk to me, when when they interact with me, then I can lay my head down on my pillow at night thinking, that's what Jesus wanted me to do today. So for me, my takeaway is keep it short and simple. Now, you guys remind me of that next week in the middle of my sermon. All right? I don't know what your takeaway is from this, but I hope that the Spirit of God nudges you somehow. I'm going to invite Tim to come back up because we do live crazy lives where we don't have moments of peace and pause often enough. I'm going to invite him just to play quietly for a couple of moments while uh, you ask God, God, is there something you want us to take away? You want me to take away from this message? And then listen, Okay. And maybe you don't even want to ask that question. Maybe you just want to sit in this time of peace and quiet. That's fine, too. Maybe this is the time you want to have some time of confession or you want to pray for those that are in need. Whatever you want to do with this space, allow this to be a sacred and holy space. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for um, short letters in the Bible. I thank you that even in these short letters, they can be powerful and they can affect us. Lord, I ask that nobody would leave here today without having a nudge from you somehow as to what they can take away with this. Lord, in these next moments, would you, would you nudge, would you whisper, would you, would you push 
um, would you encourage, would you strengthen, would you guide, would you remind? Remind people of who they are in your eyes. I ask this in Jesus' name.